0: Welcome back to the cracks in post-modernity. Today, we have Bill Malone, who I found through an article that he wrote on mere orthodoxy that I found to be really fascinating. And we talked a couple of times after, and here he is now. So Bill, tell us a little bit more about your background.
1: Yeah, i um, glad to be able to talk with you. Um, so uh, I live in Philadelphia, uh, I'm a teacher, and uh, I've been in Philly for about 15 years, uh, since I graduated college. Um, and uh, I've got a wife and a couple kids. Um, I enjoy gardening and uh, writing and reading and all that stuff.
0: So the article that I found was about the, the topic of ethnic whites. So this category that Now is kind of out of function, I guess you can say, but basically referring to white Europeans who, I guess, generally immigrated from the south or from Eastern Europe. Basically, those who aren't Anglo's. And you know what what happened to this category? Why is it not being used anymore? Where has it gone? So, just to start things off, can Bill? Can you summarize a little bit of like what your thesis was in the article and just Your take on the whole concept of ethnic whites
1: sure uh so i think the the burden that i've felt for a long time um that i've been trying to get my my mind around it is is uh like what are white people supposed to understand about themselves um how are they supposed to to know themselves um there's a lot of times where i've i've tried to have conversations about race with people who uh they they get very upset or agitated or defensive or deflective as so there was there's there's this awareness i think in christianity that we need to know who we are we need to understand who we are in christ and then but then that that doesn't often translate for white people into other areas and uh and I think that's just sort of been a burden for me for a long time and, uh, and trying to understand like how, how should white people understand themselves? How should they know themselves? Um, and a lot of it really comes back to our understanding of, uh, of ethnicity and who we are, where we come from, the people we come from, the ancestry that we come from. Um, and when you look at the history, the reality is, is that a lot of white people uh, when they emigrated, uh, people from Europe, when they came to America, they, they gave up their ethnic identity, uh, or their national identity. They gave up their language. Um, they gave up their culture so that they could assimilate and become white. And, uh, and that's become actually a problem for white people now. Uh, so that, that's kind of, that's, that's what I was trying to, to feel out in the article. Um, and, uh, a lot of the article I started off like kind of understand, trying to understand like how white people have been drawn to black identity and why that would be um, people like Rachel Dolezal and Jessica Krug um, are kind of extreme examples of it, but there's a lot more uh, There's a lot of folks who in some ways a lot, of, a lot of white folks who can tend to be almost jealous of, of black culture. and so that it's like, yeah, why is that? Why do we do that? And I think the, the answer really is, is that our ancestors gave up their, their culture. They gave up their, their real background and their heritage when they came here. And um, that's caused a lot of problems. That's caused us to uh, forget who we are in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because it, what you're saying makes me think about, there's an essay I think James Baldwin wrote called Nothing Personal. I think it was back in like late sixties. But basically, he was saying that the whole category of whiteness is predicated upon leaving behind your ethnic identity, your roots, so that you can be considered, you know, superior to people of color. Um, so we yep. see how this process of assimilation exacerbates racism. But you're constructing this kind of uh, vapid category that just it lacks content, lacks substance. You know, and it it makes me think about, like, I think there was an article in the New York Times probably two years ago about Columbus Day and how Italians, when they first came to the U.S., like they weren't considered white. Um, But it wasn't until Columbus Day was established as a national holiday that they were allowed to identify as white. And I see just within my own kind of community how a lot of Italians are racist because they're so desperate to distinguish themselves from people of color like we aren't them we are white you know so but now that we're talking about a little bit of our own backgrounds tell tell me a little bit about you know your family's ethnic identity and how you know you've come to terms with that
1: yeah uh there's there's a lot of different pieces to it uh the the Part of my ethnic background that stands out the most to me is uh, the Pennsylvania Dutch background. Mm -hmm. So my mom's side of the family, um, a lot of brethren and Mennonite, uh, the plain people, you know, the most people know of the Amish, but there's you got Mennonites and brethren who were who were kind of considered plain people. They were coming from from Germany in the 1700s and uh, became farmers uh, in Lancaster County, but then in other areas. So um, that's the that's what's that's what's most predominant in in my mind. Now, on my dad's side, it's a kind of a, it's a it's a mix. My dad's side has some English, some Scottish, and Irish. Um, and then the the surprise for us was that there's also a, a Jewish ancestor mm-hmm. um, on my dad's side. And I don't feel I don't feel connected to any of that because that that side of my family was kind of didn't really hold on to their identity the way that the Pennsylvania Dutch did. Um, so even though my mom's side of the family wouldn't identify really as Pennsylvania Dutch anymore, no, nobody identifies as, as Mennonite. Uh, my grandmother had had been Mennonite and gave it up at one point. Um, you know, we, we, we wouldn't identify that way anymore necessarily, but a lot of that culture. Uh, continued to you know for for yeah for my mom's side of the family so um yeah there's there's a lot of uh there's 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 things there that i had to do some digging and some learning on Mm -hmm. and um you know coming to terms with it is 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 still kind of an ongoing process um but you know some of the ways that we've we've come to terms with it is for me is uh it was helpful to get a D my sister got a DNA test. That's how we found out about the Jewish ancestor. Mm-hmm. Um, and also my parents were missionaries in England. So that was a, that was a way that I really was forced to learn about assimilation uh, the hard way. So there was, um, you know, I was, I was around people who looked like me, but didn't talk like me, didn't think like me, didn't eat like me. Uh, and and I had to assimilate. I, I was the only american that they that they knew and um a lot of ways i was made to represent everything about americans uh to them um which was hard and weird and uh and challenging but what i think god did was he used it to to help me to know how to connect with people who are different than me and and cross Mm -hmm. cultural lines and to be comfortable with that um And yeah. And so that's, that's kind of like going through that process. um, I became comfortable around other people, but then I would see how other people would, were very connected, especially black people, Latino people were very connected to their culture. Um, And I didn't really have that. Uh, So that's kind of, um, I was able to cross lines and be comfortable, but then I didn't have um, as deep a connection to to my own ethnic background and so um yeah it's an ongoing process there's there's different ways that i i try to connect more with um with uh you know pennsylvania dutch culture um i'm not i'm not gonna become a mennonite i'm not gonna uh become a farmer or anything like that but um there's things i can do to, to connect there that are uh that are helpful for me that it that that uh, developed me, you know, more as a human being.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I find somewhat similarly for me. So, like, my mother's side is mostly Greek, with a little bit of a mix of like Turkish and Armenian, and then my father's side is Italian. And you know, the whole Italian American culture—it's it's it's a, it's a thing in itself, like separate from Italian culture in Italy. So, like, that was definitely a presence in my life, and like I saw that. You know, there were others in my in my town who had an Italian background, but for the most part, had assimilated. You know, like many of the other students, like you know, you had Irish students, you had um, other kind of ethnic, technically ethnic white people, but again, like did not have a strong sense of their culture. And it was the very few black and Hispanic kids who did have more of a sense of their cultural identity. Um, but I don't know. So like, I would look for little cultural markers to identify with. So like, I remember when Jersey Shore came out, as much as it's a kind of embarrassing show to watch, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the fact that you can identify with that Italian American, the personality, the culture, the, the yeah. attitude, or even like all the, all these reality shows, like the Real Housewives of New Jersey, like it's very Jersey Italian. So just to have something to say, like, that's, those are my people like that I identify with, like, it gives you meaning, you know. Um, and then, like with the Greek side, because my grandparents were from Greece, like I did have a strong presence of the Greek culture in my life. But the thing is, because both of my parents weren't Greek, you know, like I wasn't fluent in Greek. I spoke a little bit, but I would find that when I was, you know, like most of the Greeks, they they gather around the Greek Orthodox churches. Like that's their cultural gathering place. And I would find that they like the other kids whose parents were both Greek, like they would exclude me because I wasn't, quote unquote, Greek enough. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's you realize how much we have this longing to be part of something to belong. Yeah. You know, um, you want to have something to plant your roots in, you know. But I, I started to realize, like, especially after I left high school and went on to college, which was, you know, I went in, in a very urban area. Growing up in suburbia, I feel like makes it very difficult to maintain those roots and really forces that assimilation, that atomization that makes us feel like we lose our identity. So like, I don't know, it just makes me think how much does the space we're in play a role in assimilating and losing our identity?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it I think it plays a, a really big role. I think um, you know, for the Pennsylvania Dutch in, in Lancaster County, uh farming and um, gardening and uh you know growing your own food um, is a big deal. And and I think they were able to a lot of Pennsylvania Dutch were able to kind of live on their own because they were more rural, uh you know, there were there were people who didn't want them to come to America, even in the 1700s. And Ben Franklin was was one significant person who who felt that way. He didn't consider them to be truly white. But because I think they were able to be farmers and kind of away from people, that that space really uh, enabled them to hold on to their identity for a while. Um, but then, you know, you yeah, especially and you think about in suburban areas, especially they're, they're built because you can drive, you can drive places, you can, you can kind of go wherever and live whatever particular life you wanna live um, rather than being right there with your neighbors. Um, and so I think there, in some ways, I would look at the, the Pennsylvania Dutch in some ways have, have assimilated more in the last like 70 years with, with cars becoming so ubiquitous. I think there, there's been a lot more assimilation the last 70 years among Pennsylvania Dutch people um and you know you you can't turn back the clock but that that's you're you're exactly right there's there's a huge effect um on on our identities based on where we live and the the space that we um even how we imagine our people to live Mm -hmm. you know Yeah. yeah
0: Yeah, and it, it makes me think about, like, in urban areas, there are so many of these, I guess you can call them ethnic barrios, where, you know, there are large groups of whatever ethnic community living there. And I remember we would always take trips to Astoria in Queens, New York, because that's where, like, that's, I guess, the greatest concentration of Greek people in America. And, you know, everywhere you go, like, there are Greek restaurants, Greek stores, there's writing on in Greek everywhere, you know. And it just... It, I was always jealous of the people who lived there because yeah. like they're immersed in the culture. There's such a sense of being part of something. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it gives life a kind of flavor and it. it's something exciting, you know, and after undergrad, um, eventually I moved into an ethnic barrio in Jersey, which was predominantly Portuguese, but also had like heavy Brazilian Central American community
2: and, mm-hmm.
0: um, But it was that same sense of, like, there's a flavor here, there's a cohesiveness, there's a pride in, like, in the fact that this is who we are, and like, this is our space. And, yeah, I think it can breed issues sometimes as well, because it can be exclusionary, you know, like, if you're not one of them, then are you going to be treated the same? But still, there's, it just, it gives you a sense of meaning and purpose, being in that kind of environment. Um, but the reality is like, especially going back to Astoria, I see that the Greek community starting to kind of evaporate, you know, like if the neighborhood's gentrifying, you have a lot of young college students moving in and then eventually the Greeks will move out into the suburbs, you know, as they get more money. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's definitely true that like the space makes a huge kind of difference in how the culture is going to like the trajectory of the culture, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, and you know, things I've seen living in Philly is like when you're when you're in a city in an urban area, you're, you're much more close to your neighbors, and you're dependent on being able to, uh, to be in one accord with them. So mm-hmm. it, you know, you can, and you know, I've experienced like you can be around people who are very different than you, uh, it, and and still be it in one accord, be 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 able to. Uh, care for one another but um but yeah there, there's there's definitely challenges these days like the the italian market in philadelphia really isn't the italian market anymore there's it's there's still italians there but there's also vietnamese there's mexican yeah. stores um and i welcome that that's a great thing but i think it's the same kind of thing you're talking about with astoria is there's there's uh some folks they they get wealthier. They can move out into the suburbs, and um, or like sometimes it's a language thing where they're the second generation isn't doesn't know the language as much. So they can assimilate easier. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, in in some ways it's kind of sad because there's there's real value in those those tight knit neighborhoods, I think, and value and and culture with one another um, that gets lost in the suburbs and. Um, it it's a sad thing to see.
0: Yeah, and just going back to the category of whiteness, you know, like yeah, I see especially, you know, pertaining to my own family, like in Newark, New Jersey, where there was a huge Italian community. Like after more people of color were moving in, and then you know they had what people would call the race riots. Now they call it more of a rebellion. Um you know, you have the phenomenon of white flight, you have white people who want to distinguish themselves from people of color who don't want to interact. So they move out into the suburbs, there are like barely any Italians left now in Newark. Um, But again, it's all centered around this concept of whiteness as a matter of status, you know. And, and the, the thing is, like, we hear a lot of talk about white privilege today like we use this category white to to kind of affirm that yeah like if you're not a person of color like you're gonna have certain privileges you know like yeah if i get pulled over by the police they're not gonna be like oh he looks a little ethnic he looks a little greek italian no like they see me as a white person and they're more likely than not going they're not going to give me a hard time as much as they would a person of color so as much as like this is a real category we've constructed if we only look at this, like, if we only define people by, like, color of their skin, we reduce people to, like, it's a very abstract kind of category, like, you reduce the nuances of the particular culture you belong to the, you know, the, and I just see how much, again, like, it contributes to this sense of feeling alienated, being atomized, yeah. you know, so I just wonder, like, is there a way to be Realistic about the fact that yeah you know this category of whiteness exists it does make yeah. a difference in our culture, but let's not only rely on this like let's look at the particulars. I don't know like how do we, how do we maintain these two elements?
1: Yeah, um, I mean in a lot of ways I think that's the name of the game right? Like you have to you have to have one foot understanding the way the world really is. Uh, and then also understand the ways that the world is wrong
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um you know yeah it's like if, if if i'm walking down the street nine out of ten people are going to say that i'm white and like the tenth person will say that i'm purple just to be sarcastic <laughs> you know like people people just they they look at me as white i i can i can tell everybody in the world hey i'm i've got pennsylvania dutch background and some english and irish and whatever but uh the way people in society think is is that i'm white and that has an effect on how they think about me and um and i can't change that and they the, we really do have to I, I think for a lot of white people especially you know the, the issue of colorblindness has been this this huge kind of catechizing like teaching concept that we we just we just pick up and it's it's in our minds uh in our subconscious even and and we 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 have this idea that being colorblind is a good thing but it it really isn't it's it's uh that's not how we we interact with the world you know there's there's no white person who ever accidentally moved into a black neighborhood there's no white person who accidentally joined a black church and six months later they're like oh wait how did i end up here like nobody's nobody's colorblind but somehow that idea got into our head so it really the colorblindness i think was what really divided the 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 way the world thinks in wrong ways from how the world should think and how culture should be and uh how we should understand what it means to be human and um i think it has to start with an awareness of colorblindness where we were aware that um the world is not colorblind, other people are not colorblind. But uh, and and that's and that, that colorblindness in many ways is pushed for the sake of, of white supremacy, for the sake of, of making white people more comfortable and, and uh, have easier access to money and whatever. And um, so yeah, being able to have like a really strong, hard-eyed look at justice and the way the world is unjust, um, but then also having a, a hope and a vision for what we can do to, to be better and, and, and that that involves identity, that that's, uh, we, we can know who we truly are. Um, so yeah, uh, navigating it, I think, yeah, like I said, I think it starts with, with understanding colorblindness and understanding how colorblindness has sort of forced us to think very wrong things about ourselves um and and then i think i guess i would say humility is is the is the other step where we have to we can't kind of we can't just assert ourselves on the world um we have to but we we also can't just sort of let the world say whatever it says we have to have a certain kind of humble caring approach to, like, here's here's what the world thinks, and here's how they should think. Um, uh, yeah, and it, and it's hard to keep out of the abstract. Like, I'm, I'm talking right now, and it's, like, it's all getting very, like, abstract and philosophical, and it's, like, you, you know, you want to be able to talk about real human beings and the real uh, spaces that we live in, and it, it's hard to not be abstract, but... Um, yeah, I guess that's, uh, there's a, f- a few things uh, that that I would say for, yeah, overcoming that a little bit. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah. And is then,
1: that- yeah, I guess the other thing is like what we talked about is really to, to start to connect to our, our real culture mm-hmm. um, of who we are. Um, yeah. Mm.
0: The thing that concerns me though, is that, like the kind of discourse we use to talk about identity today, like it really does rely on these categories that I think are like very abstract and not not rooted in like the particular in real life experiences. And I think at least like when I think about the education system, at least higher education, like so much of it is shaped by this like very post-structuralist kind of mentality about the person and it really doesn't allow that space for, again, for the particular, for also for categories having to do with like with meaning, with metaphysics, with, you know, like it's very much this kind of positivistic, pragmatic right. view of right. life and reality. And I wonder just is it possible within that kind of structure to rehabilitate the sense of cultural identity? um right. and also like moral categories spiritual categories you know like i i personally find that to be challenging within that yeah. context, you know
1: yeah 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 i, I guess there's some, something that that brings to mind and at the end of my article i found a quote by wendell berry that mm-hmm. uh i can just read it real quick i, I think it really speaks to this it's, he says i want to know as fully and exactly as i can what the wound is talking about like the wound of of race and and how we have kind of messed up our understanding of ourselves he says i want to know as fully as and exactly as i can what the wound is and how much i am suffering from it and i want to be cured i want to be free of the wound myself and i do not want to pass it on to my children perhaps this is only wishful thinking perhaps such a thing is not to be done by one man and so maybe I am really saying only that I feel an obligation to make the attempt and that I know if I fail to make at least the attempt, I forfeit any right to hope that the world will become better than it is now. And that, uh, that, that gives me some, some like when he talks about like the wound and wanting to be free from it, um, that just resonates a lot with me where there's this, uh, we, we need to recognize there is a wound that that our ancestors in and, and, and assimilating uh were in a sense wounding themselves and wounding mm-hmm. their future descendants. And so uh there there needs to be that recognition of the wound. And then I think Barry kind of really talks about how that like aspiring to to change the world, uh to change and, and you can't just do that on your own. Maybe it's too much for one person, but um you want to be free of the wound. You want to be. You want to be back to really seeing who you are, um, and that's that's not necessarily something you can just do on your own. But I think it's something we all have to work for. Um, and yeah, if, if if we are at least working to overcome that wound, uh, I think that's a huge step because there's a lot of people who don't even want to say that there's a wound. They don't even want to say that there's something wrong with our identity and how we've how we've become uh pulled away from each other and pulled away from our ancestors. Um and I wish I knew the easy answer. And I I even appreciate that the Barry kind of acknowledges like there may maybe there isn't a, a simple, easy answer. Um the answer ultimately I think in some ways has to come from from everybody. Uh, collectively it has to be a a collective movement um and i think yeah there's got to be a spiritual element to that i think there's got to be um an acknowledgement of the spaces we live in Mm -hmm. um yeah
0: yeah and that connects back to what baldwin was saying in this particular essay that if we're not willing to look at ourselves in the mirror and look at our histories, look at, you know, the mistakes we've made, how we've been hurt by other people. then like, there's no progressing forward. You know, and I think that's especially true for those of us who are like very fully assimilated and have lost touch with whatever our ethnic backgrounds are, you know, that if we don't plan our roots somewhere, then like, how do we grow? You know, there's no foundation then. So,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: So then last thing I'll ask, like as an educator, how do you try to help your students to think about these questions having to do with um, affirming their roots, affirming their own family's backgrounds?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, so my students are, probably about half of my students are African-American, half of them are Latino. Mm-hmm. I do have a number of of Asian and Haitian students. Um, my school is is in a very, very, very diverse neighborhood, um, and I think it's uh, you know so many of them have grown up and they've they've had white teachers, um, and so I, I want to acknowledge. I want to. I always try to start off the school year acknowledging that, uh, that everybody has a hard time, um, and that I give them kind of space to, that I'm going to be a teacher who cares about who they are, um, and I try to communicate that in different ways. I, i memorize their names on the first day, um, and then I think the curriculum that I use, uh, is I, I try to incorporate, uh, I try to represent my students and the artists that, I that I show them so um so African-American artists and looking at African-American history and uh Latino art and Latino artists um I think is a really important thing and I think it I think it builds up my students to help them understand uh who they are now of course they're wrestling with with their backgrounds differently than me because they're they're not white but um in some ways, I think my students, as you know, students of color, they're they're wrestling with the challenge of assimilation as well, right? Like they're because they have so many white teachers and they they see so many white people on TV. There's a there's a temptation there to assimilate and to uh, pressure even to kind of change who they are to be able to be better at school. Um, so yeah, that that you know, so yeah, from the beginning, I want them to know I care about who they are, I I know their names, I'm going to give them space to struggle uh, with daily life. Um, And then, as we as we look at artists uh, and art history and stuff I'm going to, I'm going to show them and validate their backgrounds. and in some ways, there's I, I I don't even always feel like that's enough, but uh, I think it's a start, you know. Um,
0: yeah, and it, it's and it's an encouragement to all of us to really broaden the categories that we use first to conceive of ourselves, but also, you know, the way we look at others, the way we engage with yeah. others, not just to reduce them to these kind of simplistic categories, you know. Okay. So, Bill, thank you for joining us. Is there um, any plugs you want to make to social media or blogs or anything?
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, people can follow me on Twitter if they want to, uh, at Bill Malone. Um, I don't post a, a ton of stuff, but uh, I love to be able to connect with people on Twitter. It's a, it's a cool way to connect with people. Um, yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff on Twitter, but there's a lot of good also stuff. Too. <laughs> so it's, uh, I, I appreciate the good things about Twitter. And, and try to minimize the bad. So yeah, it, it's cool to, to connect with people there. So that would be one way that, they, that people could connect with me.
0: Okay, great. Well, thank you again, Bill. And thanks for everyone who's listening. And we hope you'll join us again. Yeah.